0: We're starting a series called Epic. Everybody say Epic. Epic. There we go, we're getting into it. Um, And here's what we're going to be doing we're going to be looking at several epic stories throughout Scripture. We're going to spend the rest of our time together uh, through the summer, and you're going to hear from different speakers uh, from other campuses and different places just talking about some of these stories that we've heard about. And a lot of time, people, not just in the, the faith community, like people who grew up in church, a lot of times movies have been made out of these stories. A lot of times people outside the church are very aware of what's of, of these stories because that's the impact that these stories have Had and they continue to have an impact on our culture, they continue to have an impact on uh, who we are and how we think as well. And so, let me just offer a challenge because some of these stories, um, maybe you don't know them that well, you've heard of them, or maybe you're like, Oh, that's the story about the movie, and it's like, No, that this came first and then the movie came, you know. And so, one of these things I just want to challenge you on is if you Uh, Say, and I'll give you a number. If you've been following the Lord for five years, okay? Five years and up. If you're under that, then you're, you're okay. But five years and up. And if you've been doing that and you haven't read scripture through the whole thing, then I for you to read all the way through scripture, because these stories have shaped the people of God, have shaped the community of God for centuries now, and these things will continue to shape you and impact you as well. But on that journey of reading through the whole Bible, let me just give you a heads up, Uh, there will be points where you're like... Oh my goodness, how many names do I have to read here? How, I don't understand all of these weird laws, I don't understand these things. Listen, trudge through, you know what I mean? Because as you grow in your understanding of who Jesus is, as you grow in your own discipleship and understanding what a relationship with him looks like, you gain understanding, it comes eventually. But sometimes it requires us to kind of walk through it first, okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Moses and parting the Red Sea. I didn't mean to give it away for those who didn't know what happened there at the end of the story. Sorry about that. Uh, But if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus, and we're going to pick up uh, in chapter six. But here's, here's the main premise as we're talking about these epic stories. The same God who showed up then is still at work today. This is something that I think we, we are a little bit removed from because we, we hear about this God who parts seas, this God who does these amazing things, and this God who shows up and is, he's greater than every other thing that our world has ever seen, and we, he shows up in power, he shows up in might, and he does these things, he wins the battle for them, he does all these amazing things. But then there's the God we serve today, And sometimes we think these are two different people. But listen, the God of these epic stories in the Old Testament is the same God that we serve today. And listen, our perspective is the one that needs to change, not our God. Our understanding of who he is and what he does and how he shows up and how he shows up in power, these things are all still happening. Sometimes we just don't see it or sometimes we operate as though it doesn't happen this way. And you can only imagine a God who's sitting there going like, if you would just trust me, if you would just let me lead, if you would just let me be God and you be you, and let's see what kind of epic stories can come out of your life, that's what we have an opportunity to do. So we're going to look at these lives of all of these um, people, these epic stories that have shaped us and are iconic in culture even. But don't miss the fact that he is the same God and he still does epic things in the lives of those he loves and the lives of those around him, all right? And so we're gonna pick up in um, Exodus uh, chapter six and so here's, here's again how it starts for us, all right? I'm gonna turn there but it starts with a, and I think this is in your, um, <clears throat> in your bulletin there, it starts with a promise. Everybody say promise. There we go. So it starts with a promise. Now there's a lot to the story of Moses, right? If you've read the story, you know it's Moses. (laughs) Every every season of his life is just like life altering. All right, every season of his life is something we need to sit in and imitate and learn from and grow from, all right? But we can't do that because we'll be here for way too long. So we're gonna pick up, um, I'll tell you. So here's, you know, if you don't know Moses' story, he was in a, born in the time when Pharaoh was trying to get rid of all the babies, so his mother did some courageous, risky things to make sure that his life was saved, and he was rescued out of a river by um, Pharaoh's, I'm making sure I'm saying that right, Pharaoh's uh, daughter, and so he was raised in the house of Pharaoh, all right? So his, he's raised in the house of Pharaoh while all his Hebrew brothers and sisters are held in captivity, and so that's the life that he lives. He, so he spends 40 years of his life being raised into this you know, house of just royalty and everything and, and need and come, becomes aware that he is not Egyptian, but he has Hebrew roots, and so he becomes aware of these things and one day sees uh, one of the Egyptian um, you know, slave owners beating one of the Hebrew slaves. <clears throat> And Moses Moses, um, has anger issues, okay? So for all of us in the house who have anger issues, Moses is your guy. All right, that's the guy you want to learn from. So he has uh, anger issues, and he kills this guy. And he he thinks he's okay because it's like, hey, I just rescued my Hebrew brother, and, and I got rid of this opposition, and so we're good. Well, things come to light, as they always do. And so Moses runs for his life. And so he spends the next 40 years of his life in a place called Midian, where he gets married, he becomes a shepherd, he um, experiences God in some really remarkable ways, all right? Because God is preparing him for an incredible calling. And at the age of 80, listen to that, 80 is when Moses is then called to his ministry. Some of you who are in college are going, Man, what does God want to do with my life? Man, I'm trying to figure all these questions out. What if he waits until you're 80 to show you? Are you willing to kind of keep walking? Are you willing to keep stepping into and trusting him and depending on him to say, like, lead me to where you want me to go? Because for Moses, he had to work through some things before he was able to go back to what God was going to call him because God got tired of the Egyptians hassling and oppressing his people, that's where we pick up. God says, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of people treating my children like dirt. I'm sick of people seeing them as less than human, and I'm about to do something about it. And so in chapter six, God gives a speech, and he gives a promise. How many of you have seen the movie Taken? All right, Taken, okay. I, I can't really like say, hey, everybody, go watch Taken. You know, it's a pretty hard movie, unless you're a high school or college age girl. You need to go see that movie immediately. All right, but here's the point. There's a scene, and everybody when they think of Taken, I think they think of the scene. There's a scene in Taken where the dad realizes his daughter's been taken. You, you know what I'm talking about? He realizes, someone took my kid, and I don't know where they are, and I don't know what they're doing, but then he gets in touch with the person who took them, and he gives a speech Do you remember that speech? Everybody can, in your mind, you're doing it right now, aren't you? I have a particular set of skills, right? You know, it's one of those things, I will find you, and I will do And it's just like, oh my goodness, that guy, I do not want to be on the other end of that phone call. That's what God does right here. He gives his taken speech. You've taken my kids. You're doing things to my kids that I am not okay with, and I am coming is what he says. Look at this. Chapter six, verse six. Here's what the Lord tells Moses to tell to his people. He says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with acts of judgment. Basically saying, nobody messes with my kids gets away with it i'm coming and when i come i'm changing everything here's the reason though this is why he gives a promise here's the hope that comes with the promise he says i will take you to be my people he says i i'm creating a way for you to come and be my people again I'm creating a way for us to have a relationship again, one which I designed from the beginning where you would be my people and I would be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So he gives his speech. Moses has his speech call, his promise from God that he is supposed to give to the people. And listen, they work through a lot of different things because keep in mind, the, the people of God have been in slavery for over 400 years. That's longer than we've been a country. You know, Think of all the things that have been instilled in their thinking, instilled in their believing about who they are or who their God is or what he does or what he doesn't do. Think of all these things that are... Um, you know, produced or cultivated when you live as a slave under oppression. All of these things. And so God has to work them through those things. So I'm gonna give us three words to help us kind of work through this story. Y'all ready? Three words. And here's what's cool about this. All of these words start with the letter P. So this is gonna be really exciting. All right, first word, power. Everybody say power. Power. Come on. You can't say power like power. Power. All right, everybody say power. power. There we go. Thank you, Brooke. Here, we, here it is. <clears throat> this is the, because we're entering into the God said, I'm coming and I'm changing things. And this is where Moses gets to go to Pharaoh and basically have the same conversation many of us had when we were kids. Do you remember this? When you were at school, you were on the playground and you were kind of like getting at each other and you were like, oh, I'm faster than you. No, I'm faster than you. I can take you. And then you've re- realized pretty quickly, like, I actually don't want to get in a fight And so then you kind of moved it up a notch and you said, My dad can take your dad. Do you remember that? How many of you guys did that? You're like, I'm not, I don't actually want to be in a fight. I bet you know what my dad can take your dad. This is the my dad can take your dad moment from Moses. He walks into the hall with Pharaoh and basically says, My daddy can beat your daddy. You know this? Because then he launches into ten plagues where he says. You think you have power over his people and you don't. You think you have power over these things. My God has power. You think you can hold this. My God can beat you. You think you, and and so let's just look at those real fast. So the first plague, he says, um, they turned water into blood, basically saying like, hey, all of these things that bring life to you, I have power over those things. Here's what's interesting. Pharaoh's, you know, magicians, they're able to do some kind of magical work and, and change it there as well. And it's like, okay, okay. Next thing is they send a bunch of frogs. How many of you like frogs? Just a show of hands. How many of you like frogs that like cover everything? They're in your pantry, they're in your dresser, they're all over your seats, they're in your car. That, how many of you like frogs that much? Okay, nobody likes frogs that much. All right. And so uh, this is the second thing that he, the plague that is sent. And so these got frogs everywhere, but they can still, they can do that too. They're able to do those kind of things. But then this is the one that stumps them. Are you ready for this? Because being from the south, this means a lot for us. Then God sends gnats. You wanted to know where they came from. Right here. Because as soon as, as, soon as he was done with the plague, they had to go somewhere. And so they're like, oh, y'all go to Georgia. All right, thanks for that. You know, we're living in the curse of someone else we didn't even know. Thanks for that. But they couldn't even do that, though. They couldn't produce gnats. And so then he sends flies. Then he sends a plague where livestock die. Then he sends a plague where these boils start showing up on everybody. Then he sends a plague where hail comes and demolishes their agriculture. So he's crushing everything that they have, their belief system, their political political system, their agricultural system, their religious system, everything they were banking their lives on, God says, oh, you say, this is important, I'm bigger. You say, you've got power here, I've got more. You say, you can hold these things, you say, you're going to worship these things, I'm going to crush them, and that's what he does. This is the, my daddy can take your daddy moment, and he goes on. He sends hail, then he sends locusts. So not only are the fields demolished, the locusts consume it. Then he sends darkness. He says, you think your God of the sun is powerful? Watch this, and he brings darkness. He says, you have nothing over me. You have no ground to stand on. The power you think is... You have is a fleeting dream. It has it holds no weight, it holds no light up to our God. Because he is powerful. And then the tenth thing, God says, Pharaoh, if you don't repent, the firstborn among you will pass away. You have a choice. But we know the story, he doesn't. And and so the firstborn among Egypt, and this is the one where he says, everybody in Israel, um, this is where you need to kill a lamb, take its blood and mark the door so that you are marked by the blood of a lamb and then death will pass over you, okay? Think of, we just took the Lord's Supper. This is where it comes from. God rescued his people who were in slavery and he passed over their sin. Death passed over. Over them because a lamb died on their behalf, and they were a people marked by the blood of a lamb. That's our story, for those who don't know. We celebrate the Lord's Supper because Jesus was the lamb who died on our behalf. Sin and the consequence of sin passed over us. Death has passed over us because Jesus took our place. We are a people marked by the blood of Christ. We are a people who stand in his grace and mercy. That's what sets us apart because of what he has done. And that story from here has been what's led us up to this. This is what identifies the church. We're the people marked by the blood of Christ. And we live every day in thankful um, in gratitude for his grace. And then we show people his grace. That's what we do. So death passed over the people of Israel those who were obedient but then tenth plague wiped out the firstborn and Egypt literally kicks out the Hebrews they kick out the people of Israel they're throwing food clothes, jewelry, dishes, they're saying, just please get out of our nation. We cannot stand against your God. We cannot stand against his power. It is too great for us. It is too much for us. We don't want it anymore. Please just get out of the way. And so the people of Israel literally pack up that night and begin walking because they experienced the power of God, but now they're going to experience His presence. Everybody say presence, not presence with like a T S, like hey, here's a present for you. No, His pre- He's being with them. Okay, so here's where we go from here. I- I look at Exodus thirteen twenty one and twenty two, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of uh, fire by night did not depart from before the people. I think this is just amazing that God, when he calls you to something, when he makes a promise to you, and he says, I have something more for you. I have something next. You don't really know what it is, but I'm, I'm helping you get from this place and I'm taking you to a new place. What he offers you is his power, but also his presence. He says, I'm coming with you. You don't need to know where you're going. What you need to know is that I'm with you. And it's amazing in this story, he travels by cloud and by fire. This is kind of interesting. Cloud by day, um, when you're traveling through a desert, what do you really, 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 really hope that you have? Shade. Somebody said something else. I don't know. That was probably true as well. But shade would be a good one. The one that I am looking for is shade. (laughs) Uh, And so you have God showing up as a pillar of cloud, shading his people from the sun. And then by night, he's what? A pillar of fire. So you could see, which would be really handy, um, but also... Who, who's ever slept outside in the desert at night? Anybody? Okay. I, I, my uncle used to live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and so one night we decided we're going to sleep on the trampoline because it's vacation and we were crazy. We, we did that, and we woke up at like 2 in the morning freezing. There, do you know that there are places that do not have humidity? Like here in the south, if it's, if it's 100 degrees during the day, it's 98 at night because we have this beautiful insulator called humidity and it holds everything in. But in the desert, you don't have that. And so it is absolutely freezing at night. Well, how awesome is it that the presence of God with his people met the needs for the journey where they were? He doesn't always show up as a cloud. He doesn't always show up as a pillar of fire. But what they needed at that moment was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His promise is that he will give you his presence, but he will give you what you need for the journey. That's what's happening here. Now, let's move on to the next one. So he gives his power, his presence, but also his provision. If you look down in Exodus 14, uh, well, so here, here's, he, he provides. Here's, here's where we are before I get, read this. So they're journeying through the desert, they're making their way through. They're, they're trying to get to a place. And all of a sudden, they run straight into the, the Red Sea, right? They run straight into this big body of water. And they think, okay, Moses isn't that great with directions. But that's okay because he just helped us out of Egypt. That uh, We can deal with that. But then they hear something behind them. They hear an army of chariots. They hear an army of Egyptians coming after them. Now, put yourself in their shoes. Every time we go through these stories, put yourself in their shoes. If you were sitting there, staring at the Red Sea, and hearing the army that that you just escaped from coming after you, what would you begin to think about your situation? What would you begin to say? They even said things like, man, Moses, it was so much better in Egypt. Oh, this is not looking good. It was so much better because we had food. We didn't have to worry about things. We didn't, I mean, yes, slavery was hard for us, but at least we didn't think we were about to die. At least we didn't have to deal with the Red Sea. You let us out here only to have, have this happen in front of us right now. And so put yourself in their shoes. They're sitting between an impossible situation. And so here's what happens. Look at Exodus 14, verse 13. That's where we'll pick up. And Moses said to the people, fear not. (laughs) I hope that helped them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, I'm terrified. Don't worry. Fear not. (laughs) Like that that doesn't really help people that that much. But you always have to say that because that's exactly what everybody's feeling. Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you you have only to be silent. As far as a plan goes, that, that makes no sense. But he just reminds him, don't be afraid, stand firm here. God led you here, he can take you to what's next. You're sitting in a situation that seems impossible. You're sitting in a situation, and put your, I mean this is for you where you're at right now. You're sitting in a situation that seems like there is no way out of this. You might be in a position right now where you think like where I've come from is horrible but where it has led me seems like a dead end. It seems like there's no way through this. And it seems like God has left us or it seems like even worse, God's led us here to get rid of us. That's what they're thinking, that's what they're feeling. And so Moses says, today, what feels impossible is an opportunity for you to see God bring salvation. It's an opportunity for you to experience and see God do something amazing. Then it goes down to 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Because Moses, is to his people, he's going like, hey guys, don't be afraid. God's gonna do awesome things. He turns around, he's like, God, I need you to do something. God, I need you, please just show up, do something, bring us some boats. Uh, I need you to bring us some camels. And we're going to run around, the. you know, just, he's, to the people, he's like, hey, don't be afraid. God's going to do this. And then in his prayer closet, he's like, oh, my goodness, we need something. And the Lord says, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel, go forward. Into the, into the Red Sea? Is that the forward you're talking about? Yes. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Now, if you've heard this story, you're not amazed by this. But think of how crazy this is They're they're sitting in a place that has no opportunity, no way, and God provides a way. You see, the people looked at the Red Sea as a dead end, but God looked at it as the way to salvation. He looked at the very thing they were afraid of as the means through which he is going to bring salvation. Listen, here's, here's a note for you. There's a difference between knowing about God that he has power, that he is present, that he provides. There's a difference between knowing about God and living as one dependent on God. I mean, again, think of Moses. When, when he was praying, after they had just kind of been rescued out of the hands of the Egyptians. I'm sure his prayer life was awesome as they were journeying, but when you're standing in between the army and the Red Sea, all of a sudden our prayers get intensified, right? When you find yourself in that place where there is no way out unless God shows up, then all of a sudden something in our prayer life changes. It shifts from I know that God is powerful, I know that he is present, I know he can provide, to God, I am depending on you to show up or something better. It's going to happen. I'm depending on you to make this way happen in my life, otherwise, it's going to fail. And so, with that, let's talk real fast about the difference between trust and fear. All right, everybody say trust, trust. everybody say fear. fear. Sometimes these things are, are, are what drive us, okay? So, trust drives us, or fear drives us. Here's what trust says. Trust says, I'm depending on your power, your presence, and provision to get me through. I'm depending on it. I'm banking on it. The the disposition of my life is in humble surrender depending on you to show up in my life. That's what trust is. Here's what fear says. I'm depending on my power and my presence and my provision to get me through just in case God doesn't. And I can be honest, there are seasons in my life where I've lived trusting God, depending on Him to show up. And there are other seasons of my life where I've lived out of fear, uncertain as to, is God actually going to do this for me? Like, I know He says He loves me. I know He says He cares for me. I know He says He's present with me. I know He says He's going to be there through every season of life. I know He says all those things. But sometimes I live more out of a place of fear, which then forces me to depend on my power, my presence, my provision. Listen, if the people of Israel had their way, they'd still be slaves in Egypt because they were living according to their own fear and not trust. And can you imagine how lame this story would be if Moses had chosen to depend on his own power versus depending on and trusting God to bring a way of salvation? Think of how the story would have ended, right? And the army's coming, and the Red Sea's in front of them, and Moses says, everybody go grab some sticks. We're going to make some boats, and we're going to get out of here. Like, I mean, everybody grab a rock, and when the army comes, Throw it at him, you know I mean? And and then the Lord won that. I mean, that's not how the story goes. This was one of those situations where it's like, no, God has to show up and he has to do something. Moses had to get to a point in his life where he fully depended on God to show up. And here's what this is like, the difference between trust and fear. See, trust is, if our life is like a story, right? Everybody's, uh, this is our story. We're talking about epic stories, so think about your, your own life. Trust means, God, here's my story, you write it, okay? That's one way to look at it. Fear is, here's my story, I'm gonna write out what I think could be really cool, I'm gonna write out some things that I think would be really powerful, um, and if you could just kind of like bless it or if you could just like put your thumbprint on it and let me know it's okay. Because I want to make sure that you don't leave out some parts to my story because I think it'd be really cool if this thing happened. Or... So that's the difference. Trust says, here's my story. I want you to write it. Fear says, you know what? I don't feel comfortable with that. Because, because this happened in my life and you weren't there for me. And so now I'm a little hesitant to just give my story over to you and let you write it for me. I'm a little hesitant to trust you because I feel like I did that once and you let me down. And so um, we tend to take our own story and hold on to it and we wanna write it, we wanna articulate what happens because there's a level of control with that. Here's the problem though. If that's the life we live, if we're the kind of people who short arm giving our story over to God and letting him write it, here's what happens. The tragedy with living according to fear is that we never experience the full extent of God's power or his presence or his provisions that come when you trust him. God says, I have a story in mind for you. I have one that is going to be incredible. I want you to experience life, but you need to let me write your story. You need to let me kind of lead you through certain things. You need to let me, you need to trust me to provide. You need to trust me to have power over the pain you're going to experience. You need to trust me that my presence is actually going to be enough for you, but we tend to hold on to it and live a certain way and we write our own story. So then imagine this. Our life comes to an end and you take your story to Jesus and you say, here's what I did. Because your life is a gift, right? From God, he gives it to you. And so you step into eternity with him and you go, here's the story. Here's what I did with the life you gave. And he looks at it and he goes, I mean, I guess that's, that's okay. I mean, but I had so much more. Like, I had more for you, but you didn't trust me to write your story. Think of that moment when you realize, and many of us now, even if we reflect on our own story, when we reflect back on certain things, some of the things we regret are the fact that we didn't trust him enough. We didn't risk enough. We didn't step out enough because... We see it on this side. We lived out of fear. But today is a new day, and you can choose to live from a place of trust versus fear. And so let me just kind of wrap this up with us right now. Here's the last thing I want you to understand, that this story points to a person, an even greater person, right? The whole reason that we read this story is to realize That Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the one who made this promise and lived it out. So Jesus is the one who not only came to a people in slavery and then liberated them, but he led them to life and he led them to a way. Think about the imagery here. Moses stands on a mountain and he spreads out his hands so that the sea parts and the people have a way to experience life and salvation. Jesus climbs a hill with a cross and he spreads out his arms and he is crucified, creating a a way for them to experience life and forgiveness and freedom from sin. The epic story is not simply that Moses did some amazing things, but Moses was the one who gave this picture of what Jesus would one day come do for every one of us. This is our story. You were the ones who were enslaved. You are the ones who have this mindset of fear and Jesus is trying to lead you to a place where you trust him and live according to his way. Jesus is the one who provides power for you and presence for you and he provides a way for you in and through his life. That's what he does. That is your story. This is our epic story. You are in this thing. And for us to miss that would be a great tragedy Because he says, I would love for us to write this story together, but you've got to trust me. So that's the invitation for us. Will you trust him, live according to trust, or will you live out of fear? Fear that he's not going to show up. Fear that what he has isn't better than what you could come up on your own. So as we sing, we're going to sing here in a minute. And uh, I want to just give you a chance to think about that. Like, where are you at right now? What has the Lord been putting on your heart? What has he been doing in you? What is he kind of pushing you towards? What is he challenging you on? And as we sing this song, um, I'm gonna give us a time to reflect on that. And as we're singing, I want your prayer to be, even if you're not a praying person, here's the prayer that you could pray. Lord, what do you want me to do with this? I I feel you... Leading me, I feel like your word is challenging me. What should I do with this? And then after a little while, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna help us take a step. So let's stand and I wanna pray for us real fast and then we're gonna sing together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that we have an opportunity to trust you and depend on you I pray that you would help us not to settle for anything less than that, though, that we would be your people and you would be our God and we would look at every season of our life, the good seasons, the the horrifying seasons of our life, and we would remember that you are with us and you are the one who delivered us, you are the one who carried us, you are the one who spread your arms so that we might find salvation and hope. We're just thankful that you have made these things possible for us. Let us have new eyes to see what you are inviting us into, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.